all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for listening. This is Southern Remedy for Women, the show all about addressing issues of health and wellness from a woman's perspective. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Owens. My esteemed co-host Dr. Allie Brown is out today, but that's okay because we've still got a great show lined up for you. Our special guest today is Dr. Susan Schamberger, who is the Chief of Breast Imaging at UMMC. You know how we do it here at Southern Remedy for Women. We like to have the bosses in here to give you guys the best updated information um, to help you live your best and healthiest life. So um, we have a breast radiologist who's here. She's going to talk to you about some really fascinating things that are going on um, at UMMC and how perhaps maybe you or someone you know might be able to take advantage of some of the special opportunities. And additionally, we're going to answer your questions uh, related to breast imaging. Do you or someone you know need a mammogram? Are you one of those people who kind of knows you need it and haven't really gotten it? Um, Do you have any questions about whether or not mammography or other types of screening are right for you? This is the show and this is the expert. So Dr. Schamberger, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me here today. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here to talk to us about such an important uh, topic to women. And hello, it can also be a very important topic for men. So let's just, first of all, we're going to get this, we're going to myth bus number one. Um, Breast cancer is not for women only. There you go. I said it. Um, And so we, but we do recognize that most of the people who experience breast cancer are women, but it does also impact men. And that also has implications. If you are a family, if you are a woman who has a male in your family that has been impacted by breast cancer, that has specific implications for you and risk. Um, and so we can kind of delve into that a little bit more in the show. But this is while, while this is something that we typically think of with our nice pink ribbons about being about women, we do want to be sensitive to the fact that there are many men who also struggle um, with this. This uh, disease, and um, it's important to remember that they can also be impacted or affected by it. So, first of all, Dr. Schamberg, have you been with us before? I have not. This is the first time. See that? Well, it, so it is so good to see you and have you here. We say see you because. Um, even though COVID happened and we were all remote, we still got an opportunity to continue the show. So we're still doing the show, but we did not have the opportunity to be in person. So we were doing Skypes and other things. So when we see people in the studio now, we always say it's good to see you because it's really like we don't take that for granted anymore. Um, But the other part is you are in our new studio, which is pretty darn swanky these days. Um, It is um, definitely different from where we started, but I think it's just a testament to the progress that has taken place here at MPB. And I I will take a shameless moment to plug all of the people who are, you know, the sustainers and the people who support our show and other MPB programming um, through your contributions. This is not drive day, but I am going to at least say thank you to all of our patrons who are out there because of you. We have the opportunity to uh, do what we do and also to 
have great things like this wonderful studio. So, um, Dr. Schenberger, since this is your first time, we'd really like for you to just kind of introduce yourself to our listening audience and tell us a little bit about yourself. So, so where are you from? And um, tell folks a little bit about what you do. And when we say where you're from, we talk about where you're from, like from the very beginning. Well, actually, I'm from here in Jackson. Um, I was born here in Jackson and um, graduated from Clinton High School. I went to college at Mississippi College. I went to medical school at UMMC. I took a hiatus and thought I might do surgery, so I started out in residency there at Oshner, New Orleans, and then decided to do radiology and moved back and did residency here. And then I did a breast fellowship. I just fell in love with breast imaging and... um, did a breast fellowship at UAB. Um, I practiced for seven years in Tupelo in private practice and then decided to move back to Jackson, which is home for me and my family, and um, work at UMC. And I've absolutely loved every minute of it at UMC. So I've been there for six years now. So that's awesome. So you are so you are a legit real homegirl. I appreciate that. Um, we have the opportunity to talk to a lot of um medical professionals and even some people who are experts who are non-medical uh, professionals but who still bring expertise to the microphones and our airwaves and it is always really nice to kind of hear a little bit about the backgrounds of the people who are coming in to talk but it's always really special when we have an opportunity to hear from like one of our really homegrown own people and we are so grateful to have you here so tell us a little bit about the um the breast program that exists at umc Well, we have a breast imaging center where we do not only screening exams, but diagnostic exams and procedures such as biopsies and cyst drainages. And then we also have additional locations where we perform screening mammography, and that's at Grants Ferry location in Rankin County and at the Pavilion. And then we also read screens from Lexington, Mississippi. We also have breast MRI. It's performed at the UMC Pavilion, and any procedures related to MRI are also performed there at the Pavilion. And so for those who are in our listening audience, people kind of, I think, sometimes hear uh, MRI, which stands for uh, Magnetic Resonance Imaging, um, and think about their knees or their backs or other things. So how exactly um, does um, MRI, how, what's the application of MRI when, as it pertains to, to breast health? Well, our most common use for breast MRI is we do contrast enhanced MRI with and without contrast to evaluate for breast cancer. We use it for screening in the high-risk population. So anyone who has a lifetime risk of 20% or greater, it's recommended that they have the breast MRI in addition to their annual screening mammogram. We really like to alternate that every six months so that you go, you don't go an entire year with no imaging in that high-risk population. We want to catch things as early as possible. So when you specifically mentioned those high-risk groups, how might um, it, someone in our listening audience who may have had like maybe a family history of breast cancer or if they are worried that they might fall into those high risk groups and they're thinking, oh, my gosh, am I getting the right am I getting the right imaging? Um, are the recommendations or does this apply to me? Like how might they know if they fall into those high risk groups? Well, we have different models that calculate lifetime risk. And um, the new ACR guidelines recommend that all women be screened for risk assessment at age 30. 
so that they can have adequate screening or supplemental screening beginning at an earlier age if if that's appropriate for them. Um, so you can ask your doctor and take a close look at family history, hormonal history. Um, there are a lot of factors that go into that calculation. Um, and we can even do that at the breast center when someone comes in, say, for screening and they say, oh, I have a family history of breast cancer, my mom and three sisters. Then we know that person has a good chance of fitting into that cat- category of high risk. So, guys, that's just just to kind of summarize, if there are calculations, formulas that are used to determine your risk. And we know that there are definitely things that are risk factors for breast cancer, but... Um, they are are formulas where they can be a little bit more specific about how high that risk may be. And there are certain thresholds for those risks that might actually put you into a different category that would require a different type of uh, screening or a different type of evaluation compared to what is normal. And that that calculation of risk, according to what we just heard Dr. Schamberger say, is that calculation should be done as early as 30. Okay, so for, for my folks who are thinking that all we got to do is put mark our 40th birthday as the day that we officially like are, are brought into the mammogram fold, um, that the calculation for risk or the determination of your risk should actually be done at an earlier time. And so I think that's kind of a common thread that we've we've noticed as we are starting to put more of an emphasis on prevention um, in a lot of different areas. We've seen our cardiology friends who have decided that we need to lower thresholds for the diagnosis of hypertension and then as a result put people in a group that warrants more attention and maybe earlier interventions. So this is just kind of falling in line with some of the things that we're seeing kind of across medicine as we are continuing to acknowledge the importance of preventive care. And I mean, you know, we talk about knowing your numbers, whether it's you're a diabetic and you need to know your A1C, if you're hypertensive, you need to know your blood pressure range, like you should know your risk for breast cancer. Why? Because A, we have good, reliable screening tools. And number two, early detection is your greatest opportunity for intervention and a subsequent um, cure. So keep that in mind. And so now we got something that we can add on to the list of things that are wonderful about turning 30. And that would be getting your uh, risk calculation for breast cancer. Um, And if you happen to be in a low-risk group, great. If you are in a high-risk group, don't run away and hide in the corner and just say, I don't want to know. Figure out how to follow that up so that you are doing everything you can to mitigate that risk. So I think it would be really good just to kind of level set here, um, Dr. Schamberger, for a moment and talk a little bit about why this matters, right? Because we we talk about the importance of screening and early detection as it pertains to cancer. But there's the other piece that's like, well, how big of a deal is it really? And, you know, in Mississippi and look, even in the South, I'm a Southern girl um, in the South, we sometimes tend to say, well, things are different here. They're not the same as they are in all those other places. And so perhaps maybe those rules or those concerns don't apply because that's not really a problem in Mississippi. How big of an issue or a problem is breast cancer in Mississippi? 
Well, for what I see every day, it, it definitely is a big problem. Um, and the saddest thing of all breast cancers to me is that most deaths are actually preventable with screening mammography. So in the 1990s, when screening mammography became widespread, there was a 50% decrease in the mortality rate from breast cancer. And Today, most breast cancers, if caught early, have a 100% cure rate if you can catch them at stage one or at a DCS, which is actually a stage zero. So, you know, getting that screening mammogram every year and getting in at the same place or making sure that your prior exams are available if you move to a new location are very important because what we're looking for are very fine details that may not be available if all you have is one exam. But to have your priors and to get that get that exam routinely and the MRs as well if you're in that high-risk group, it's very important. So, so that gets me when you said, because I, I also do work as, in my MFM life um, as a person who looks at, into maternal mortality. And um, we know that um, when we look at maternal mortality rates, which are really high in this country, that um, 60% as many as 60%, and in some instances, even more of those have been determined to have been preventable. Um, and so we we always have to think, right, about um, when, you know, death that may be inevitable, but it doesn't, ha- but, but the other part is you want it to be one of those unpreventable events as opposed to something that you can actually prevent. And when we say 60% or more, people are like, oh my gosh. But when you talk about 50% reduction in mortality just by rolling out this screening, it kind of helps, I think, to amplify the significance of having a, a good screening test and then having, but, but the screening test in and of itself is not the thing that makes the difference. It's having people to actually get it done. Yes, ladies, I understand the pancake thing. It is not pleasant. It is not comfortable, but it is, it is necessary and it can be life-saving. And um, I actually like pancakes, um, so so there can be some good that comes out of it. Um, but it can also be something that's not the most comfortable. So, what do you say to people who are concerned? I've had so I've had some folks say, "I don't want to get a mammogram because I'm concerned about the radiation exposure, and I I'm worried because I've heard that excess radiation exposure causes cancer, and so I was thinking that." If I'm a person who's at high risk for breast cancer, that maybe I don't want to expose myself to that radiation. How do you address some of those concerns and some of the hesitation or reluctance that people have, whether it's the discomfort? Because these are the things I hear most common, discomfort, radiation, or those folks who say, well, I mean, mammograms really aren't that good of a test anyway. They're not really very um, precise. And so I don't really know why I should get one. Well, let's first address the radiation issues. So it is a very low-dose radiation. So if you think about life in general, there's radiation all around us all the time. Um, So the amount of radiation that you get from a screening mammogram is about the same as from the amount you get from the food you eat for three months. So people don't not eat food due to radiation exposure. So I would not not get a mammogram for that reason. Also, you'd get about the same radiation exposure if you were to get on a plane and fly from New York to L.A. Because every time we take those long-distance, high-altitude flights, we expose ourselves to a little more radiation. So it's, it's 
almost a negligible amount. Not that we think that any amount is negligible, but the benefits of catching a cancer early far outweigh the risk from the radiation exposure. Awesome. And um, so next thing, but it hurts. It is uncomfortable sometimes, um, but we have to do a lot of things that are uncomfortable. If you have extreme discomfort, you know, you can consider taking something like an ibuprofen or something like that before you come. Get Um, out of here. You can take an ibuprofen before? You can. My mind is officially blown here. Okay. Or time. (laughs) Whatever you prefer. Um, Also, you know, let the technologist know ahead of time, hey, I had this issue before. Maybe this was uncomfortable. Maybe I noticed that my skin was pulled in a certain area. And um, they'll... They're all sweet people that are trying to take care of you, and they will do their best to try to make it as comfortable as possible, but still give you the best exam. And so, for those women who um, who are who are still having cycles, who haven't gone through the change of life, but who are um, for whatever reason undergoing ma- mammography, does the timing of the mammogram, as it pertains to, like for example, your your menses or your periods, does is there is there anything that they should think about, like when you're scheduling your mammogram? Might you take that into consideration? Is there a time when it might be a little less uncomfortable than more uncomfortable, et cetera? Usually, um, as from a comfort standpoint, it's usually more comfortable the week after your period because your breasts are the least hormonally active at that time. As far as the imaging goes, I, I don't think that there's a big difference from us interpreting the mammogram at that time but from a comfort standpoint it might be better for the week after your period Um, MR does make a difference when we are performing screening MR we usually like to recommend that you have that exam between day 7 and um, day 14 of your cycle because that's when your breasts are the least hormonally active because MR is not just anatomic imaging it's physiologic imaging so you don't want all that background enhancement from your hormones the week before and the week of your period. So that's something else to think about. And I, there are, so I know that I know that my folks think about it when they are planning pap smears and things like that. And we're doing fewer of those these days um, because of a, a, a change in screening guidelines. And so most people are not having those kinds of exams or that requirement that's done. But people kind of already had in their mind, like trying to not schedule things around their cycle for that. But this is one of those instances where the timing of your imaging um might also be important as it pertains to, you know, like your normal menstrual cycle. So just something else for you guys to think about. So like I said, it it may not change imaging and we're not telling you that you need to schedule it, you know, based on your menstrual cycle. But if you've had issues with discomfort, it may be helpful. Oh, and I love what you said about just explaining to somebody what happened to you the time before. Um, I have found that that is as, as a personal, like a clinician, I've found that to be very helpful um, if I've had a, a patient who is preparing for an examination um, and they seem very hesitant or reluctant, or even if they may not seem that way and they say, hey, let me just give you a heads up here. This happened to me the last time. Um, and so just to know that and be aware. And and so it helps me then to either A, say, you know what, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm taking that into consideration or whatever. And it, I think it helps to put the, the patient at ease. But the other part is that, you know, sometimes people don't know that information. And by not knowing that information, they can't like 
do other things that might actually make it more enjoyable. Well, I I don't know if enjoyable is really the word, um, but at least definitely more comfortable for you. Um, It can be enjoyable too. There's no shame in that. Um, So sharing past experiences is really important. I think also first timers. If it's your first time, I think that is important information to share as well. And I like the pre-medication thing. I had not ever thought about that, pre-medicating. Not necessary, but could be helpful. (laughs) So help me with this, because this is one of my burning questions for every radiologist, and I've not yet had a person who could answer it. Um, So with MRIs, because you mentioned the application of um, breast MRI, is there not... why? The technology is really fascinating and amazing. Why the heck does the machine have to be so loud? (laughs) Why can't they just make it quieter? (laughs) That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, And and it's disconcerting if you're in the machine having an MRI, because I've had them myself, uh, to hear that kind of knocking noise. But it has to do with the magnet and the IR pulses. And um, it's... It's not anything we can get rid of. When they push it in the tube, and I'm like, there's just, you get the headphones and all that. Like, there are lots of different things. Um, And so, for those people who, you know, are a little claustrophobic or who don't like small spaces, there are things that can be done in advance to kind of help relax you and to get you optimized for that experience so that it doesn't have to be um, a very anxiety provoking time for you. Um, But yeah, the noise, man, it is really, really loud. It's incredibly loud. So, one thing we do is, we allow people to wear headphones and listen to whatever music they like. So uh, sometimes that can help. And, you know, just kind of taking a deep breath and finding a Zen moment before the whole procedure starts. Absolutely. So um, the other thing that you said that I thought was really interesting and I think um, is, is something that I'd like to go back to is just talking about how important it is in Mississippi. And you said, well, in my world, because you're the person who's looking at you know, all the screening mammography and, and interpreting these studies, that it's a really big thing. And I, that struck a chord with me because I will say that um, one of the biggest disconnects, and I think it was very much um, accentuated during COVID, is the difference between like the perception of the public and their lived experience and what it is that we sometimes see in healthcare every day in our respective roles. Um, and it's very difficult to reconcile the the disconnect there. Like when people, there were people who were saying, oh, you know, I don't even know that COVID's real. And we we're seeing, you know, we have a field hospital in the parking garage. Right. I mean, so it's like, and, and, and p- there were lots of people who were in their homes and locked down and who didn't have an opportunity to see some of the terrible things that we had to experience and, and live through. Um, and it was very difficult, I think, for those of us who had to have that experience to see other people whose experience was so dramatically different that they even questioned or challenged whether or not what we were really experiencing was even happening. And I think that's the difference um, and one of the challenges whether it's breast cancer um, or any other cancer, once you have someone in your family who's been touched by it, it it changes your whole perspective. Then it's even more real to you. But as as long as you may not be touched by it, I think sometimes it lulls people into a sense of complacency where they actually feel like, oh, well, that's not in my family, so it can't happen to me. And and. Let me just say, for those of you who are in the low-risk categories and not the high-risk categories, 
low risk is not no risk. And so you just need to be aware that even if you are a low risk person, that cancer still happen in low risk people. And that's why they don't say, oh, well, you are in a zero risk category, so you don't need screening at all. But your risk may be lower than someone else. But it for you, it's either going to be 100 percent or zero. You're either going to get it or you're not. And the whole point is, you know, if you happen to be that person for whom cancer actually develops, you actually do get a malignancy, then you want to catch it early so that you have the most options for treatment and ultimately cure. Absolutely. Um, if we want to talk about some of the statistics, I'm a number person. So actually 75% of all new diagnoses of breast cancer come from people who aren't considered high risk. If we only screened people who were technically high risk, we would miss 75% of the new breast cancers out there. Wow. So people who say, oh, it's not in my family, I don't need to get a mammogram, that's not necessarily true. Um, If you look at the statistics from the Mississippi Cancer Registry, from 2015 to 2019, 13,667 women were diagnosed with breast cancer, and 2,201 died from breast cancer in that same period. Wow. So that's a lot of people. Just in 2019, 2,887 women were diagnosed with breast cancer, and 433 women died of breast cancer. Uh, so it's, it's almost 20%, huh? Almost roughly about 20% Well, the so. risk the risk is about 1 in 8 so we'll have breast cancer in their lifetime. Wow. So just being female is really your greatest risk factor. And I remember when I was training, I'm dating myself, um, but when I was training, our the, the number, the statistic at that time was one in 11. It was one in 11. And because that was the number we got asked all the time and it was emblazoned in my head. And it has been really um, a little anxiety provoking for me to see like over time that number going in a lower direction. But part of that can be because we're doing better at detecting and because we have better screening and people are doing it. And so we're finding it more often. So it's not necessarily always a bad thing. Um, and people are living longer. So we got, That's you right. know, and, and age is also another uh, risk factor. So when you think about those things, it kind of makes sense. It's not always, it doesn't always necessarily mean a bad thing, but, um, but it is definitely something to think about. We're going to place a pin on this conversation. We're going to go straight to our phone lines because we've got two callers on the line, and we're going to hear from Wyatt, who's calling from Hazelhurst. Good morning, Wyatt. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. What's your question this morning? I had uh, two uh, quick questions. Uh, my wife is always, thankfully, uh, very religious about her yearly mammograms. Gets a, uh, has the mammograms completed at the same place. The radiologist is great. Always comes out and says, you know, we need to look at this, or it's fine. Uh, and so I always look at the printout when it comes to the house, and it has at the bottom, you know, the calculated risk score, which is like uh, 29%. And so there was a synthesis, you know, we'd recommend a, a screening MRI for high-risk uh, folks. And I said, have you ever gotten one of those? And she said, no. So I asked her, you know, to... You know, she could ask her doctor who said, oh, I thought, you know, they would tell me if I needed to do, want to put in an order for it. That's all of the story. But uh, so thankfully he did. And so, uh, you know, never had I heard of, of breast coils before with MRI. But so, you know, you have to schedule that between day 7 and 14. You know, she showed the place. They didn't have the right. Um, apparently they had the Shelley Duvall 
breast coils, but not the Dolly Parton breast coil. So uh, they had to reschedule for um, the next month, day 7 through 14. Um, and thankfully that was done. It was negative. So now they're going to alternate screen and MRIs and the 3D uh, breast mammography. So my two questions uh, uh, quickly is, one is, what does that 29% sort of mean? Is that like there's a 30% chance of rain, or is it sort of like um, a different thing? The, the second is uh, my question always that I love for Dr. Owen is, so when I think about the complications of, you know, getting scheduled between, you know, day 7 and 14 um, and, you know, whether or not you're going to the same place and, you know, I really, you know, uh, think about, you know, uh, the women in our state who are trying to, you know, juggle child care jobs, caring for elderly patient, uh, parents, and good grief uh, doesn't this speak to the need to try to open up as much access as possible for women to uh, have appropriate screening mechanisms. So you go ahead and take the first part of that um, with the uh, the question about risk, and then we can jump in talking about access. Why, you know, you are all on my street about this access thing and, and opening access, and that might even be an opportunity for us to talk a little bit about some of the opportunities to increase access that are going on right around us right now. So if it says her lifetime risk is 29%, that what they're saying is over her lifetime she has a 29% chance of developing breast cancer. So anybody over the 20% mark is considered high risk. So that's why you want her to be screened with annual screening mammography and breast MRI because MRI is more sensitive. It's um, physiologic and anatomic imaging. And the reason why we like to do it in day 7 through 14 is because that gives us the best chance of picking up a cancer early because there should be less background enhancement that's due to the hormones. Does that help? Um, And then also for, um, with respect to increasing or enhancing access, I mean, you're throwing softballs today, Wyatt. So tell me a little bit about what's going on um, in in your world that's kind of helping to increase access. So coming up on August the 20th at UMC at the Jackson Medical Mall, we are participating in UMC's fifth see test and treat program this is a program that's put on by the college of american pathologists that um, offers free pap smears and mammograms to women of appropriate age who are either uninsured or underinsured Um, we usually do this annually we did have a little blip with covid and weren't able to do it in 2020 And then 2021, that one got delayed again due to COVID, and we had that in April of this year. So our actual 2022 event will be on August 20th this year. And so this is um this and this is going to be by this is by appointment only, right? You can't just show up, right? So how exactly um, might someone who is interested in uh, participating uh, find out more about this? So you can look online at UMC UMC website about C test and treat, and um, they are still taking appointments. So that's fantastic. So if you or someone you know falls into that group, if you are a person who needs a mammogram and haven't been able to afford one, um, please uh, check that out on the website. Give them a call and see whether or not you qualify. And if you do, make yourself an appointment. Um, because the life you save may actually be your own. And that, hey, we're not just talking about breasts. She said breast and cervical. So if you are a person who is either at risk for cervical cancer or you haven't had a pap smear lately, 
please make sure that you look into that opportunity. It's an incredible opportunity. And again, life-saving screening. Those are two of the best screening tests available uh, for women as it pertains to cancer detection um, and for some of the more common cancers among women. And if you look around the state, other than just this one time a year, the Mississippi State Health Department has a breast and cervical cancer program to help those that are underinsured or uninsured. So check with your local health department and um, ask about the Mississippi Breast and Cervical Cancer Program for screening. And so we're going to jump right back real quickly to the C-Test and Treat um, program for UMMC. If you would like an appointment or if you want to determine eligibility and you have limited Wi-Fi access, don't want to use the website, I got a phone number for you. Grab your pen and paper. That number is 601-815-3572. That's 601-815-3572. Three five seven two. Thanks so much, Wyatt, for stimulating that conversation. And we are going to stay on our phone lines and hear from Brenda, who's calling us from Poplarville. Good morning, Brenda. Good morning. Uh, thank you for this program. And I did want to have a comment uh, about pleasant experiences with mammograms. I will be 70 in January. I've been having mammograms routinely since I was 50. I think that's when they were first recommended back then. And uh, I also have a handicapped sister. I've been present for all of her mammograms. Good for you. And I just want to say that mammogram technicians across the board as a whole are the most professional, kind, gracious, understanding, and just sweet people uh, of any I have encountered. And I'm a retired RN, so I do view uh, healthcare professionals probably uh, more strictly than the average person. And I'm not saying the other disciplines aren't wonderful, but I have never had a mammogram uh, technician who was less than stellar. They're just, they're great. So if people are afraid to get one, uh, maybe that will help them go because the technician is going to be wonderful. Brenda, thank, just, you, thank you I so much that. for that. I, th- I really appreciate and having someone hear that from a person, especially a person who's well-versed in, in healthcare in general and who, um, you know, kind of has had experiences not just themselves but also with family members. I think that bit of encouragement goes an exceptionally long way. And so thank you so much. I'm going to ask you a yes, quick little you. question, too. Um, does it get easier as you get older? Is it better as you get further along? It it's still a bit uncomfortable for for me personally. The discomfort has been about the same. Gotcha. So I was just looking. I, I was looking that. for. I was looking for a, a rainbow there. <laughs> well, I think. I think a lot of people don't want to come get a mammogram because they're afraid, and they're afraid that it'll hurt, or they're afraid of what we will find, or and whether that'll be a cancer or something that's not a cancer, but they still have to deal with. And I think it's important. To know that most people, when they finally do come get that mammogram, they go, oh, I don't know what I was so worried about. Or, you know, this is just a huge weight off my shoulders. And so the reassurance of having a negative mammogram can really just kind of take a weight off your shoulders and make you feel better about life for a while. I mean, because you're thinking that's just one thing less I have to worry about this year. 
So you can look at it that way as well. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. And and I've also known people who uh, kicked themselves in the butt, so to speak, because something was found and it was not found as early as it could have been. And uh, they, you know, then they have regrets. I wish I had gone sooner. So that, and I do have one quick question. Uh, with the newest guidelines, what is the point one may stop having mammograms if they have no family history and have never had a problematic mammogram? That's a good question. So we recommend annual mammography until your life expectancy is less than five to seven years. So even if you don't have a family history, if you're very healthy and you're active, um, we would recommend that you continue to get a mammogram until your life expectancy is less than five to seven years or if your condition is such that you wouldn't do anything based on the findings. Because that one of the other biggest risk factors in breast cancer is birthday cakes, right? So the more birthday cakes you've had, the older you are, you know, the more likely you are to have breast cancer. So I think one of the things that we see that we hate is when somebody says, oh, I'm 75, I'm not going to get another mammogram, and then they show up at 80, and they're still pretty healthy, but maybe there's a cancer there that could have been found earlier. Um, so... You know, you have to gauge it by individual, but if you're healthy and you're loving life, then come get your mammogram. Need that advice. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for your call, Brenda. If you have an opportunity, you can uh, check us out podcasted on the MPB app. Um, So that'll be available um, at some point in time. Thanks to our super duper production team who kind of helps to make sure that this information um, maintains is is maintained and available. Even for those people who don't get a chance to catch us between the delightful hour of 11 and 12. Um, And so. Uh, really quickly, I'd like to go back. We have a caller on the line. I see you. I'm going to come to you in just a second. Um, but Dr. Schamberger, you want to give out that number one more time for the seed test and treat? Because I know we still have um, some spots available and I want people to have opportunity. Um, and if this number is not the same as the one I gave out, listen to hers because hers is probably the Absolutely. most reliable. <laughs> 601-815-3572. Okay, that's good. I think we had the same number, so that works Excellent. out. Perfect. Um, so 601-815-3572 is the number for you to call. They will uh, determine your eligibility and also schedule you for one of the appointments that is still left. Um, and so now we will go on to the phone lines and hear from Caroline, who's calling from Meridian. Good morning, Hi. Caroline. Hi, how are you? Doing great. How are you? I am so good. So I wanted to call and give a really positive experience that I have. I'm a cancer survivor, and cancer does, breast cancer does not run in my family. And uh, I was in Vermont, and I had an itch way back, almost under my arm, and it just kept bothering me for about six months. And I was on the phone with a girlfriend, and all of a sudden I decided I'm just going to dig in there with my thumb. And sure enough, there was a, a pea-sized thing. So one thing leads to another. Um, I had a lumpectomy and had radiation. And uh, I was over at UBM at Hope Lodge. And I met some of the most... Um, emotionally draining friends I've ever met. People that 
came from the same kind of background, no history, never did breast exams, and they had massive stage three, stage four cancer. And so I asked him, did you ever do breast exam? Did you ever have any indication? And no, I never did. And so the bottom line, I was in healthcare too. I was a finance person in healthcare. So I went back to my hospital after my treatment was over and my doctors asked me to give a speech to the community what it means to do self-exams, what it means to follow up. Because I had stage one, zip, zip, it's gone, I'm on tamoxifen. You know, I had radiation for several months, I'm on tamoxifen, a 10-year uh, stint. And I know how PS can be, so do the breast exams, because the sweet women that I met probably are not alive right now. So... My goodness. Um, so first of all, Caroline, congratulations on being a survivor. That is that is amazing, and we are so excited. Wishing you a long and healthy life, Dr. Schemberger. What what do you have to say about about Caroline's experience? Absolutely. Um, annual mammography, in addition to self breast exam, is very important. We recommend monthly self breast exams. Again, we like to recommend that the week after your period because your breasts are less tender and um, you may have a better chance at feeling something that's different. I usually tell everybody that um, everybody has lumps and bumps. You just need to know what yours feel like so that you'll know when something's different. And for women who have had a hysterectomy or no longer have a menstrual cycle, just pick a day of the month, whether it's the day of your birthday or something significant that you can remember that day. And when that day rolls around, say it's the sixth of the month, you can say, oh yeah, I need to do my breast exam while I'm in the shower or when you're lying in bed or however you can remember to do that, because that's also very important in early detection of breast cancer. So thanks for sharing that with us. Absolutely, Carolyn. We wish the best to you and I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks. So, Dr. Schamberger, we got about a minute and a few seconds left. Um, what are your, so just some closing thoughts and wisdom for our listening audience? Don't be afraid to get your mammogram. I know people are afraid because, like I said, it may be uncomfortable or you're afraid of what we'll find. But um, we're on your side and we're trying to take care of you. You are the most important person in that equation. And um, we're glad to help. If you have any questions or have issues um, with access, don't hesitate to give us a call. And um, we'll try to help set you up with C-Test and Treat. Or you can also call the Health Depart Mississippi State Department of Health and ask about the breast and cervical cancer program. Our goal would be that no person who needs screening for cancer um, be it breast, cervical, or other, no person for whom screening is available that needs it goes without it. There are so many opportunities, options, and programs that are available. Um, so the issue is just kind of figuring out which one um, and, and which one is close to you. So please, please, please make sure that you 
take advantage of those opportunities. Um, and knock on it, that means that it, our time is up. We started having such a good time. Um, thanks so much for all your calls, guys. Great questions, wonderful comments. Dr. Schamberger, thank you again for shining thank your you. light on us it. today. Thank this you. is great. It might have been your first time, but it will not be your last. Guys, um, as you know, today's Southern Remedy was produced and engineered by none other than um, Mr. Jay White. Our call screener was Charles Arnold. And for my beloved co-host in Abstention, Dr. Allie Brown, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens. Um, Join us next week at this same time, same station. You guys be safe, be kind, and be light. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.